The Real Estate Sessions podcast is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising for real estate brilliantly simple. Promote your brands, promote your listings, learn more at adworks.com. That's A-D-W-E-R-X.com, adworks.com. And the data needs to be out there. The data is out there in so many different forms. We shouldn't fight the data being out there because we want to help a person try to sell a property. We want to help them sell it. And our, our listing agents want to facilitate that transaction. We just have to make good, smart decisions about where data goes. And the brokers have to have a strong voice in that. And Armless does that. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Welcome to episode 43 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Once again, thank you so much for finding us in our little corner of the internet. It's been growing and, and it doesn't happen without you telling your friends about the show. And if you are an iTunes user, we always appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review there because that helps us get to even more listeners. And today I'm really excited. We've got another CEO. We've been on a little CEO run. And uh, today it's going to be the CEO of the Arizona Regional Multiple Listing Service, fondly known here in the state of Arizona as Armless. And the CEO for the last few years is actually Matt Consalvo. Matt, welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be with you all today. I always like to find out how people got their start in life. And, you know, things like the Internet make it easier to find out. And I see that you're from the Pacific Northwest, a little town kind of just west of Portland called Hillsboro. Am I correct there? You are correct. You have been doing a little digging. I was born in Hillsboro, Oregon. My father at the time worked for an electronics company called Tektronics. And, and anyone who's listening and recognizes the name Tektronics, they've obviously come across an oscilloscope in their life because that's what Tektronics does. It did and still does. They make oscilloscope and wave measurement tools. But that's where I got started. And, I, and it's funny is because we lived on a little country farm out in the middle of nowhere, and my dad commuted into the city for his technical job. But we grew up on about 100 acres in the hills of Oregon in a two-story Spanish hacienda-style house that really didn't fit to an Amish Mennonite community very well. Wow. So how, how many people in your family? I have three sisters, all older. I'm the youngest and uh, the, only, the only male. Uh, my parents have been married for 50-some-odd years, and uh, we have a great family. Uh, we don't all live in proximity to each other anymore, so we don't see each other as much as we'd like to, but, but my sisters are great folks, and, and we have a great time together. I found that you had, you had actually been involved in some level of real estate as far back as 1980. And is it, did you intern for the company that uh, created Supra, the lockboxes? Do I have that? Is that right? It is. It is about 80%, 85% correct. I actually moved to Arizona in 1974 uh, when I was in early elementary school. Okay. But we had a lot of relationships and friendships that maintained in Oregon, and we visited there frequently. But I've lived in Arizona. I've had an address here continuously since 74. I did go out of state to college and had a couple job assignments over the years. But I've been here for a long time. And the company, Super, was founded by, uh, uh, by a couple folks, the Barretts. Uh, Gwen and Iroll Barrett, and they were the sole owners of the company for the first 30, 40 years of its history, founded in the early 60s. 
And they were some friends of some friends of some friends. And in the 1980s, when I was in college in Southern California, I went up for two different summers and interned for four months uh, in their marketing department during my college experience. And that's how I became first exposed to the lockbox industry and subsequently to the real estate industry. Okay. Also, my dad was on the board of directors for Supra in this window of time. That's kind of how another vehicle of how I got knowledge in it. And uh, I actually pondered going and working for Supra in Salem, Oregon at the end of my college experience. I just didn't work out, and uh, I left that side of things, went off and did some others, and, and eventually came back to it. So it's kind of funny how, that, how, how, how those bridges never quite go away sometimes, and you come back to things. Right. You, you, you worked in retail um, for a while, and then you actually had your own company for a little while. But, but, but back in— I did. You, go ahead. Talk about those experiences a little bit. Um, I came out of I came out of college and one of my dad's former business partners. So remembering I, I moved to Arizona in '74. My dad and a couple other gentlemen had a company called Valley Distributing Company, and they had two divisions. One was a company called Yellowfront, and if you've been in Arizona longer than 35 years, you might recognize the Yellowfront name. But it's been closed for about 30 years. I remember it. And then the other was, yep, the other was Checker Auto Parts, and one of his former business partners from that venture. Many, many years later, as I was leaving college, uh, opened an office supply superstore called the Office Products Club. They had four locations here in Phoenix, Mesa, Tempe area, and had a couple locations in California and San Diego. And they were one of about seven or eight early entries to this concept of big box retail. And unfortunately, the OP Club did not survive the battles of these big box startups. But I did get hired by another one of those big box startups in the time when they were very young called Staples. And Staples did survive those wars. Right. And I spent many, many years with Staples as a store opening manager. And I traveled around Southern California and Arizona opening stores for them. And I met my wonderful wife, Nancy. Uh, and this is now 20 some odd years later uh, that we've been married. And, and we just love her dearly. And she's a great part of my life. But after we got married, I decided moving around every four months wasn't great for establishing a relationship or a family. And so I decided to, to stay in one store, realized it wasn't what I loved doing, ended up leaving Staples, uh, which was not very architected or very planned, but it just kind of happened. Uh, a few months after I left Staples, uh, my mother was having a hard time buying a pair of shoes, and we went out shoe shopping together, and about four months later, we opened a shoe store and a walking store that was committed to good, healthy footwear for the activity of walking. And we did that for about seven years also. Was that here in Arizona? It was. It was in the Paradise Valley Mall. The store was called Walkin', stuff made for walking. Nice. And we were an early web presence with a website called walkingstuff.com. And through a series of events of a new landlord, tenant at the mall, and, and, and an internet buying spree of larger companies buying up smaller dot-com entities, we ended up making some changes there, closing one, selling some others. And I left that, that uh, independent retail entrepreneurial role. And um, what's funny is, is about the same time, shortly after that, there was a problem uh, where Supra, the lockbox folks, going back a couple decades before, needed to open up some support centers to help the folks out here in Armless, four of them specifically. And they didn't have anyone on staff that really understood this face-to-face -face customer contact. And so we did face-to-face -face customer contact in these four support centers. And in doing that, uh, I got hired, and I said I'd do it for a period of time and help them out. And that was September of 2003, and I never left, and I absolutely love it.
you know, Matt, I've been in the business since 2000 and working on the title side of things, I didn't really have direct interaction with lockboxes, but man, have they changed a lot over the years. So I've just seen 16 years of evolution. Tell me, tell me about the entire evolution of lockboxes. Sure. Happy to, happy to talk about that. I've actually, you know, as we talked about, I've been in the industry for a while off and on in lockboxes, but my knowledge goes back to 1958, 59, when a by the name of Delbert Williams turned a Yale bicycle lock into the first lockbox. And he gave this idea and this concept to his daughter and her new husband, and those two went out and formed a company called Supra, which is the company that we use here at Armless today and a lot of folks around the country use. And Supra lockboxes started as very mechanical boxes with these metal keys, and they didn't track much of anything. And, and as those patents started to run out and evolution came, the boxes went to mechanical devices that had metal keys but recorded information on a foil tape. So that was the first time we could see who came and went from listings, but it was clunky and, and antiquated. And then we started to see electronic boxes coming in the marketplace, and, and they were in the marketplace in the 80s, but not very successfully, and they became successful in the, in the mid to late 90s. And then they've evolved about four or five times since then. So we're on a Bluetooth communication box that is the fourth or fifth generation of this type of electronic box. And the great thing about the keys that we use today is when they communicate with the box, they share that information to a central computer in near real time, and that information can be downloaded to the listing agents or to the listing broker. So our ability to move data has certainly changed since you started in the business 16 years ago. It's changed just in the last six years and will continue to change going forward because technology is changing all the things we touch these days. So you were with Super for six years setting up these support centers. Did Bob Bemis come looking for you? How did that happen? How did you end up at uh, at uh, Armless? Sure. These support centers have been supporting Armless uh, for about six years, like you said. And I also had responsibilities in Atlanta and Cincinnati and Southern California and a couple other places where Super is directly involved in the administration of the system, just like they contracted with Armless to do. And that administration agreement had put in, put in, been put in place by Bob Rucker. And Bob Bemis, when he came into Armless, saw a great need for education to branch out of, of just the Tempe building and go to other places. And these support centers were the logical fit for it. They're being paid for by dollars of the Armless subscriber already. So let's get some additional use out of them. His vision was to make them full MLS support centers, not just key box centers. And he approached me and approached the company called Super that we worked for at the time, which was owned by General Electric Corporation, and negotiated the transfer of those operations to Armless. And myself and about five or six other folks came over in that transfer. And uh, that was November of 2009. And, and I've had a great time since then in my, in my different duties and role at Armless. And, and the folks who came with me, most of them are still here. Most of them are occupying different roles in the company. And, and it was just natural because it's the same thing we've been doing for supporting the Armless subscribers for so many years ahead of that. So Bob resigned his position at Armless and joined Zillow. What's, what's next for you then? Was there a, a search? Uh, we know you're now the CEO, but what was that process like? Sure. When Bob Bemis resigned, I was current, my, my title at that time was Chief Operating Officer a job that I absolutely loved here at Armless. And, and Bob resigned, which was somewhat unexpected in my eyes. Uh, he certainly had other things that he wanted to pursue, and that's okay. Things change, as we've already talked about. 
so Bob went off and, and did that, and this organization looked for about six, seven months in a national search for a CEO. I was a candidate in that process. I came down to the final selection of candidates and were interviewed by a search panel of six or seven people at the time, and um, I got the job. And so I'd been interim for seven months. I, I took off the interim tag and have been the CEO for, what has it been now, four years now, five years now, and, and uh, certainly having fun with it. Let's talk about that search process because the the ownership of Armless is quite unique. I think that the general public has no clue how this all ties together. And I think just the the realtors that are heavily involved in the, the organization of, of the associations understand this. But talk about, you know, how Armless even came about to be. And, you know, if I'm yeah. correct, the local boards are the owners of Armless, right? So the it's Sevrar, SAR. PAR, Weimar, and the West Pinal Association um, actually own Armless, right? You're 100% correct. Okay. Most of the 700 plus MLSs across the country, most of them are owned by a single realtor association or, or combination of multiple realtor associations. There are a handful of private or broker owned, but the real predominant MLS model is that they are association of realtor owned. And what we did in 2012 when we kind of tweaked our decision-making and our, some of our governance pieces, we affirmed that in our bylaws that the corporation can only be owned by realtor associations. Now, that is not to say that you have to be a realtor to join Armless. We have non-realtor members. But it does say the folks who own the shares of the corporation are realtor associations. And it's the five that you mentioned, the four founding members, and then after this governance change in 2012, Western Pinal became a full shareholder of the corporation. Okay. And as we go forward, I, I, this, this won't change in my mind. The MLS has a very symbiotic relationship to the realtor community and to the licensed real estate professional community. And we are the data providers for that, for that entity. And so it's a natural fit. Let's kind of dive deeper into the, the world of the data center that, you know, you operate. I mean, it really is in, in the, in the big picture, you are in charge of a lot of data. Is that is that a sim too too simple way of putting it? Oh no, not at all. I think I think the simpler we can keep concepts, the better. And I think that's a very good way to put it. MLSs, when they were first formed, were formed as organized marketplaces, an organized marketplace that real estate professionals and realtors could come to to exchange data and to be guaranteed an offer of cooperation and compensation. And that's kind of the basis of all MLSs at some point. I see the MLS of the future, and I believe Armless is at the forefront of this evolution, and that is that we are more data companies than we are just listing data companies. And the listing, although an incredibly valuable part of who we are, is not the only part of data we have now. We have layers and layers of data, and our hope and desire is to gain more layers as time goes on. So we have floodplains, we have demographic data, and we have FEMA data, and we have uh, walk scores in some instances. And what we don't have now, we want to collect in the future. And we're in discussions with a company that can provide some drive time data. And it's the concept of the MLS of the future is still centered around the listing, but it's the more and more layers we can add to the listing that make our subscribers more relevant to the, to the consumer looking to buy or sell a home and to the transaction. And you package all that up and you deliver it in a way that's fresh and crisp and mobile because mobile is, what we, is how we need to deliver these tools. 
And, and suddenly you have what could, should be and most likely is the MLS of the future. Let's talk for a second about a topic that has to come up when I'm talking to the CEO of one of the largest MLSs in the country, and that would be syndication. It has, first of all, I'm not sure very many people have a complete grasp on what syndication is, but they, a lot of people have uh, opinions and they tend to differ. So give, can you give us that, uh, that entry-level look at what syndication is and what are the two sides to this battle that seems to be ongoing? I don't know if I'd just say there's two sides. There's lots of facets to this topic. Okay. So syndication is a misused term, in my opinion. So let's step back a little bit, and I'm going to throw a little acronym realtor speak at the conversation. I apologize for anyone that's a non-realtor listening, so follow me for just a few seconds, please. In the realtor, participant, subscriber, licensed real estate practitioner, listing agent, buyer's agent side of things, we have what's called the Internet Data Exchange, or IDX. IDX is not syndication, but everyone thinks it is. And here's the analogy I use to help folks get a grasp on it. As you, we sit down at our family table in our kitchen, at, in this home we called Armless, IDX is that kitchen table. It's the other folks that share Armless and share the information in Armless and how we share it. And it could be bills, bill, realtor bills, website.com. It could be consolvorealty.com. But it's that, it's that sharing of data on a web interface amongst our kitchen table. The real concept of syndication is a family reunion in this scenario. Where, where we go and meet up with our distant aunts, uncles, and cousins that we see occasionally, or maybe often if we have a big Italian family like I come from. And that, that idea of this family reunion is an idea that, that these other websites that also want to display real estate listing data have access to this data, and they display it to consumers. Sometimes they display it trying to generate leads that they sell. Sometimes they display it trying to track things. Sometimes they display it for a whole host of reasons. And the MLS of the future, and you're going to hear me use that term occasionally because I really believe that that's where our industry needs to go. What is the best practices of the MLS of the future? And Armless's best practice, we mimic this concept of, of MLS of the future. And our practice is that anything that goes to either IDX or syndication goes on a broker opt-in basis. So the broker of the firm decides where that data goes. We respect their decisions, and we send it there. There are some MLSs that package data and send it without the broker voice and things, and, and I absolutely think that's wrong, and I've, I've taken a, a position on that on a national stage multiple times. The broker needs to have a voice in where that data goes, and Armless certainly respects that. One of the things that sometimes, one of the facets that sometimes creates some conflict is listing agents often have strong opinions on where that data needs to go. And sometimes the broker and the listing agent have some conflict on that, and that gets a little rub in our industry. And, and I'm thankful that here at Armless, I don't hear that complaint much these days. I do know on a national level, we get that every once in a while. But here at Armless, I think we've really worked through some of those challenges. And most of our broker participants are very, very, uh, concerned about how their listing agents want that data to be displayed and they work together. We've also done a good job in the last couple of years of getting some better tools for that. If we go back a few years ago and even one or two of the tools we still use today, it's an all or nothing scenario. 
So if you and I are in an office together and I'm the broker and you're the agent, if I want any of the listings for my office to go to uh, XYZ website, all the listings in my office have to go, but you may have a seller that wants one site excluded. And, and we've gotten a good job in the industry in the last couple of years of getting these one by one listing by listing choice going. We still don't see a ton of folks using it, but at least it's technology that gives us more choices. So in a short wrap up, IDX is not syndication. Syndication is syndication. And the data needs to be out there. The data is out there in so many different forms. We shouldn't fight the data being out there because we want to help a person try to sell a property. We want to help them sell it. And our, our listing agents want to facilitate that transaction. We just have to make good, smart decisions about where data goes. And the brokers have to have a strong voice in that. And Armless does that. So Matt, what, what do you say to the, the realtors out there that their, their claim is that hey, it's our data that's going to these portals and then they're turning around and selling us leads from our data. It's ours. Why are we doing that? How do you respond to that? Well, I, I often go back to the 1980s when we put ads in newspapers and we paid as an industry to put ads in newspapers. And really, that's the evolution of what we're wrestling with. The syndication sites today, and, and there's, there's 60, 80, 100 of them across the country. Some of the bigger ones are Realtor.com, Zillow, Trulia, Homes.com. But there's, there's dozens out there, if not, if not 80 to 100. And they are the media companies of the digital generation. So the idea of putting advertising out in some space is different. In the 80s, we paid for placement. And in the 2016s, we are paying for the leads from that placement. But there are many of these syndication tools that are free, but yes, the media companies are generating leads and they wish to monetize either the advertising side or the lead generation side, and that is the reality that we face today. It's media in a digital format, and I understand that the data is curated and created by licensed real estate practitioners and if it's something that they really don't want to participate in, that's a great conversation, like I said, between the broker and owner of that firm and the listing agent. And we've gotten better tools to exclude some of those listings going out than we used to. But in reality, if I've, if I've learned nothing else from my niece and my nephews, that is that they grew up in a world fueled by Google and this concept that data is meant to be free. And it's meant to roll out there and roam the, the, this thing that we call the World Wide Web. So you can, you can hide your data from the internet, but in reality, the data is going to be there at some point in time. And it's media and how it's being delivered today. And some folks reject that argument, and I have conversations in a deep depth with some listing agents and some folks, but, but that is kind of the perspective of it. And, and, I, and I always welcome comments and debate on it, but that is, that is the position that most folks take. Uh, that's a great answer. I appreciate your, your candor. Um, I know Armless is always trying to bring valuable tools to uh, their subscribers. So talk about a couple of these tools that uh, you feel are probably most important for realtors to master. Yeah, we, we, we have brought a couple tools out in the last couple of years. We haven't brought a ton of things because we're very, very selective in that process. 
But uh, the first tool I'd point out is if you haven't mastered, if you're a subscriber of Armless and you haven't mastered Monsoon, I'd encourage you to go back and take a look at it. And, and in full disclosure, Monsoon is a home-built tool of that company called the Information Market uh, that we purchased a few years back. And, and we think it's the best local public records of any of them out there. Uh, but in addition to Monsoon, we have a couple great tools we've launched in the last year, year and a half. One being HomeSnap. And HomeSnap is a culmination of a great mobile search tool that we've been looking for. And we really like the HomeSnap folks, and we have a great business relationship with them. But I can't promise anyone we're going to be in that relationship for decades upon decades. As an industry, we like to embrace technology and kind of hold on to it for a long period of time. And HomeSnap is a fantastic mobile tool today. But we got to see what innovates and what comes up next. You brought up earlier virtual reality, and maybe virtual reality takes over some things. I don't know. But HomeSnap's a great tool. If you haven't used it, go download it. It's free. It's HomeSnap Pro. As a real estate practitioner, subscriber of Armless, you get to see things that the consumer side doesn't. But it also allows you to meet your consumers in this mobile tool and share some information of, of houses you like and don't like. And, and it's, a, it's a great tool. Try it. Also on that mobile concept, before I move on, I will tell you our vendor, uh, Flex MLS, and their FBS, uh, excuse me, FBS is the vendor, Flex MLS is the product, they are coming out with an enhanced mobile tool in the next few months that I'm really excited about because it has this collaboration aspect that HomeSnap brought to the table. So you're going to have a second mobile solution that's pretty good here soon, and, and mobile certainly a vision and a mantra of our industry, and HomeSnap and this new FBS tool coming out are, are two great ones. And the last one I'll, I'll mention to the listeners is a, a product called Showing Time. One of the great things Showing Time is it helps automate, streamline, and keep records of showings. Something that we want to do, something that the MLS wants to do, something that the listing uh, agent and the listing brokerage want to do. So you go, into, you go into Showing Time. It's absolutely voluntary. It's not mandated by the MLS. But you go in and you set up some showing information on your listing. If I want to show your listing, I hit a button and I get some responses automatically. It goes to text or to email, however I want it. But Showing Time has been greatly adopted by our subscribers in the last six months and just a solid tool to track and coordinate and help with uh, the showings that need to happen to get these houses bought and sold. Excellent. Looking forward, Matt, what what is the biggest challenge facing Armless? I think just the evolution of MLS and, and, and how this all changes is the biggest challenge facing Armless. Armless and all MLSs need to be willing to adapt and evolve to a changing technology environment and a change to how data flows. We have all these initiatives in our industry, and, and I'll throw out a bunch of acronyms and names that don't mean much, but like Upstream, AMP, Trestle, Spark, MTP, Retsley, these names that go on and on of changes to how the data flows. And Armless needs to be prepared to accept that flow of data change and continue to be, build these layers of data for relevancy to the real estate listing and that's what's facing us. Additionally, as we look at MLSs, we have this natural consolidation taking place. There were 923 MLSs years ago that went down to 886 to 850, that went down to, last number I heard is somewhere between 725 and 750. And maybe there's a purpose for all these MLSs, but maybe there isn't. And the MLS industry needs to come to terms with this. And if we should be smaller, we should make decisions to be smaller. 
As a real estate industry with realtors and others, I have learned that we are great firefighters in my 12, 13 years uh, working around Armless. So as an industry, we respond to crisis tremendously. If there's a natural disaster, the realtors are there to help. If there's a crisis, realtors have solutions. One of the things I think we need to do, though, is we need to be better architects of our future. And I think as an MLS industry, we need to architect what change needs to happen and how we want to manifest it. There are some who would argue we need one MLS in the whole nation. I'm not one of those folks, but there are some. I certainly think it's realistic to say that in the state of Arizona, there could be one to three or one to four MLSs, and currently there are 14. And I think we're stronger together than we are apart. That doesn't mean we all have to jump on the bandwagon and all do this tomorrow, but I do believe that we could save some money, and I do believe we could make a stronger presence in the marketplace if we worked more together. So what's the greatest thing, what's the greatest challenge facing Armless? Evolution and how we architect that evolution with our neighbors and our peers, and we work together for a better future. You and I both belong to um, a very, I'm going to call it a cool club to belong to. We're, we're both part of that family of cancer survivors, and uh, I wanted to just let the audience know, you know, kind of get an update on your situation. How are things going with you and your battle? Uh, I am cancer-free at this point. Thank you. I did have prostate cancer that was diagnosed just a couple years ago when I was 47 years old, which is very early to find prostate cancer. But because of a family history, I knew what I was looking for. And I have a couple great doctors that helped me with that. Uh, I just had a blood test this week, in fact. Your timing's perfect on that question. I'm 18 months post-surgery, and I am non-detectable, which means I continue to be cancer-free. No evidence um, of disease. We love, those, we love that phrase. That's yeah, great. Good. Exactly. Good. Uh, so... I've got another 18 months in front of me before the doctors start stop poking and prodding me as often. Uh, but I am a cancer survivor. I'm happy that I'm a cancer survivor. I'm not yet 50. And, and I'll tell any, any gentleman out there listening, uh, prostate cancer is a serious illness. It's been in my family for five generations now. You've got to pay attention to it. Uh, for any of the other listening, listeners out there, if you have a family history of cancer, be it breast, colon, prostate, anything else, just know what to look for, engage in the medical community, be hunting for that, because early detection can make it survivable, as we both know. Yeah, I knew you'd have a great answer for that question, so thank, thank you for, uh, for allowing me to ask that. Finally, our final question, I've had you over half an hour here, so I'll get you going. What advice would you give to a realtor just getting started in the business? This is the same question I ask every guest, so, and it's really unique. Most guests, I don't think we've really doubled up on answers. It's been awesome. So what's your advice? I've got a couple pieces of advice. My biggest piece of advice is find a great coach or a mentor to help you. If you're new to the industry, there's so much dynamics to this. And I just said a few minutes ago, the realtor community responds great to things. We have a lot of great folks in this industry. So when you go to the office meeting, when you find somebody who, who, who understands the industry well, buy a cup of coffee, buy them a lunch, spend some time getting great counsel from them. They may have only been in the business two years, or they may have been in the business for 30 years. But when you have those highly successful folks, realize that they are great mentors and great coaches. My second one that I'd point out is, is the broker should be your first line of defense in so many things. As a new agent, 
it's okay to ask questions of your broker and I encourage you to because your broker is a great mentor and the great legal advice that can help you navigate all the paperwork and all the transactional stuff and keep you out of trouble. So engage with your broker. And finally, I would say roll up your sleeves and have some hard work. It's a great relationship business. It's a ton of fun. They're fantastic people. And, and in all that, remember that technology is your friend. We as an industry have some pretty outdated technology and we're not quick to embrace new technology and we've got to get better at that. This internet of things, this idea of connected devices, this idea of connected homes, in fact, is coming towards us and we've got to be willing to embrace virtual reality technology and mobile technology and e-signature technology and all these things that are out in the mainstream business world that our industry doesn't adapt and adopt as quickly as others. So to recap, get a great friend and a great mentor to help you. Listen to your broker and engage your broker. Build relationships, have fun, and embrace technology, and, 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 and knock it out of the park. Matt, what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they need to ask you some more questions? Absolutely. I'm always available for them. I do travel a fair amount. Armless, being one of the larger MLSs in the country, does participate in a lot of conversations. So I always encourage folks to email me. Uh, my email address is really simple. It's matt at armless.com. M-A-T-T at A-R-M-L-S dot com. Even if you spell it with one T, it'll still get to me. I try to keep it simple. I have a fantastic group of professionals that are here at the office in Tempe all the time helping me out working on things, and if I get a question that I don't know the answer to, you may see me pass it off to them. If I'm traveling extensively, they may grab the question and try to answer it for you, but, but I always welcome a chance to engage with folks and, and try to answer questions about this great industry that I love. I'm, this, is, this is an industry that's been very, very good to me. I enjoy what I do tremendously. I enjoy this concept of data and, and this idea of what we can glean from the data. And so I welcome the chance to participate in discussions. We won't always agree. And sometimes, like we talked about a few moments ago, this idea of media companies in 2016, I don't always agree with folks, and they don't always agree with me. But we always have great debate, and I always learn something in that process. So email's the best way. Folks can reach out to me, and, and I'm pretty quick to get back, even if I'm traveling. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. We are going to – I'm going to make this request. I'm going to – put you on the hook for whenever we have some kind of a major development in, in your world, I might bring you back. Are you okay with that? Oh, I'm available anytime you need. Uh, I don't know about major developments. We seem <laughs> to be an industry that an MLS industry that moves a little slow, but, but anytime there's anything I can answer for the listening audience, anytime there's a question, even if it's a five minute segment on something quick, or if it's a half hour on, on a topic that we need to peel back layers on, always happy to join the conversation. Thanks a lot, Matt. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Real Estate Sessions with Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about The Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.